gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Welcome back, good people. Welcome to the Truth Prescription, another episode. And uh, we have a very special and interesting guest for you today. His name is Emil Westergaard. Uh, his background is uh, is in banking. He's a hedge fund guy, but surprisingly, he's a hedge fund guy with some soul. Take a listen. Walked out of the doorway into the rain. Walked away from numbness. Into pain. I heard your crying as I turned away. Our love is over, and I'm walking away. Say, Welcome. Thank you for having me. That was a that was a great song. Does the word uh say la have a, a particular meaning? Cuz I I know say la means like peace in certain languages or, you know, that oh, that's kind of thing. But... Yeah, well, I mean, to me it was just say la vie. Ah, got that's, it. You know. Yeah, like, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, I I told I told you 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 guys that he had soul. Um, let's let's what you could clearly hear. Uh, let's talk a little, just a little bit about um, sort of your 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 work history because you've done a lot in in your life. Um, so University of Chicago, you got a degree in music, which which I thought was really interesting that you made the leap into the financial world. But we'll get into that. In '93, you worked for Bear Stearns as a medical device analyst. In '97, you worked for uh, Big Bank UBS, uh, becoming a global head of medical technology and equity research. In 2000, you joined Pico Capital. Pico. Uh, to P- Capital, excuse me, um, as a director of research for their healthcare fund. In 03, you work with uh, Amaroth Investors as their health healthcare portfolio, portfolio manager. Um, and then in 2007, you launched your own uh, company, Tokum Capital. Which is also involved in healthcare. So you've done a lot of healthcare, uh, and then in thirteen, Westergaard Advisory, which carries your name, which sounds to me like uh, almost like um, like a McKinsey in a sense, where you know you're doing a lot of business uh, business advising and, and investing. 
And uh, and then now you're working on something which I thought the the acronym was very interesting H F D I Y P B C, um, which uh, when I read it, it sounded like it was you're dealing with uh, training modules that teach people investment theory and um, a- average everyday folks how to invest in the in the stock market. So which which is great. Um, so you've done a lot. <laughs> that was a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <Lots of> names too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so just tell the listeners a little bit about um, where you're from, where you were raised, uh, what kind of kid you were, and um, where all the music started. Because clearly, that's where you went. What you went to college for? So, I grew up um, in Manhattan on Park Avenue. Um, you know, my father worked on Wall Street. My mother was a Broadway producer. So you can understand where my mindset comes from. Um, so I say, I say that they were a very aspirational family. I think that's kind of a nice <laughs> way to put it. To tell you. But, but we were always living beyond our means. We were a Park Avenue family without the means to really afford it. Yeah. So it was a constant financial stress to keep up with the Joneses, let's call it. Um, on the other hand, my father was a fascinating guy. He was a very intellectual guy. He read a ton of history. He loved history. And so constantly driving intellectual conversation, our home. And then my mother's a Broadway producer was, uh, she produced some really interesting shows. I mean, sophisticated ladies, which I mentioned, uh, it's a great show. A, uh, you know, a great show based on the music of Duke Ellington, Greg Hines was in it. Phyllis Hyman, Judith Jameson. Yeah. Um, and I must've seen that a hundred times. I literally, Worked with my mother on that show as like a twelve-year-old. Oh, wow. I mean, i I would go to the, I would go to the um, rehearsals with her. I'd take notes. I'd give her notes. Telling um, stand on stage. So that was a big part of my musical education. And I don't claim to be a jazz musician at that level, but I, I have a great appreciation for music that comes from my upbringing. Sure. And and then also this uh, Wall Street thing, which which ended up playing a role. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting. Um, the whole idea of trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to keep up appearances, um, because from the outside it would seem like, well, his mother's a Broadway producer, his dad is is, a, is you know works in the financial industry, and the numbers didn't actually bear that out. So that that's interesting. That's that's definitely, um, <laughs> you know, it's definitely not dealing with reality. You know, not not dealing with the truth. Um, yeah, it's a it's a theme in my life, which is you know, you 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 can take money as a you know you need to get to happiness. You need more money, mm. or you make your happiness now with what you have. There you go. And yeah. in my family, there was always this myth of when the, on the day when we made all the money that we were going to make, right. our family would finally be happy. And there was a lot of conflict. Like you know, you know, there was a lot of fighting in my family. This created a very stressful. Um, life despite appearances. And again, to your point, I think from the outside, a lot of people even aspired or admired my family. Mm, right. Realized kind of the, 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 what was going on under the hood, but that's karma. As I said, I'm, I'm, you know, that's been my lifelong work to understand and, and resolve those, you know, those things and, and, and teach my children really uh, to live life in a, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that because yeah. 
it's it, it's always difficult to really impart what you want to impart on your children. Um, it becomes more difficult when 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 there's a separation, which I which I which I know very well, very intimately. Um, I'm going to just do kind of uh, do an overview um, for anyone that's listening for the first time, and just kind of give you you're getting little tidbits if you're listening about what the truth prescription is about. But every person no matter their industry, has had to interface with certain truths in their professional and personal lives. And it's through accepting those truths that obstacles can be overcome that lead to greater and greater success. My, my basic premise is very simple. You don't need mantras. You don't need gimmicks. You want to be successful? Deal with the truth in a real way. Then you'll be successful. <laughs> that, that's, yep. that's essentially it. Um, so with that, let's, let's kind of, I mean, we've talked a lot Clearly, you've you've gone through a wealth of personal and professional experiences. Let's start with a, a personal story, um, and I, I know I don't want to lead you, but I know you did discuss divorce, which which I know intimately, and it, it it can be very difficult. Or you can talk about something else personal in your life, but that made you deal with uh, in the aftermath of it, or while going through it, that you had to deal with a certain truth in order to sort of get to the other side. Sure. So. Um you know, I'm going to try to put this all in a, in a package, but okay. I, I've been divorced twice. I have five children from two marriages. Wow. When I divorced my first wife, I uh, was at my peak earnings. I, I had made $6 million the prior year. Wow. Most of that money was sitting in a hedge fund, and I didn't actually have access to it because I, it, it's one of these things where it takes time to get access to your money. Sure. When you take that kind of money in a hedge fund, they don't give it to you right away. So right as I made that $6 million, I was just completing the divorce from my first wife. Mm. And uh, what that meant was I had to pay her quite a bit of money. Yes. And it ended up being $40,000 a month after tax with my um, alimony and child my, support. My alimony and child support, including my private schools that I mentioned earlier. Oh, my goodness. So I, and then I married my second wife right about the same time that I completed that divorce. And my second wife was equally aspirational. You know, I married another, <laughs> you know, uh, Asian woman who wanted to live, you know, she wanted to be married to a hedge fund guy. She was very pretty, wow. smart, but she wanted the big bucks. And so I was just on even the faster rat race. And I'm going to fast forward to, I, that didn't work out either. Right. Maybe not surprisingly, though I, I say I have five beautiful kids, healthy, Great. smart. They are, I call them my antidote to regret. <laughs> I like that. And uh, so basically in 2012, I left my second wife. However, through the financial crisis and this $40,000 a month bill to my first family, uh, I was having to borrow money from my employer to pay all of these bills I was owing every month. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I and of course the the judge felt like this was this was uh, uh, fair and they did the calculations and the numbers and and, and it made they and said it made I should be sense. taking that kind of money right they you no know, we see you're a hedge fund guy no no mercy right wow and so basically in 2013 in the middle of my second divorce my firm having loaned me five million dollars shut my fund down and basically asked to be repaid. <laughs> Wow. And so in 2013, I had to file for bankruptcy. Got it. In the middle of a divorce, um, move out of my home. I spent a year sleeping on people's couches. Wow. I lost 
everything. Yeah. And I lost my Wall Street career because basically at that point, going to bankruptcy, you're not hireable as a fund manager. So, oh, I see. you know, I go, through, I go through interviews and then they do the background check and I was, and I realized that. And so I started my own company. Um, but you know, that period in that second divorce, my, my first of all, my second wife basically took the attitude as did my first, you know, excuse, I don't know what the language was, you know, limits here are, oh, but you know, yeah, I mean, we, we, we try, we try, we try to, to limit, to limit the, uh, the profanity <laughs> we try, right, but you know, if, if it hits you to hit you. Well, you know, basically it was a fuck you to me that like right. you need that money. We're, we're, you're our sugar daddy. And F we're, you, we're F you. Yeah. It's a F you. And yeah. I basically had to and finally, after kind of, to your point, being beholden to these women, I mean, I lived a life to make these women happy. Yeah. It's, Honestly, I got trained in by my mother. Yeah, my, I I was the guy to make my mother happy. Right. I was you know I was the eldest son of four kids. That was my job. Right. I knew that job well. I did it with my first wife, my second wife, and then finally, in the when I when it all collapsed in 2013, I was basically like fuck it. And it was honestly <laughs> a moment where I was either gonna do something dramatic right. for my life, or I was gonna just let go of it all right. and start from scratch. And I did that and yeah. I let go. And the first thing I realized after some, a lot of anxious time was actually when you have nothing, no one can come after you for anything. Wow. Truth. So, and truth. Number one. <laughs> they, I mean, the only thing they could try to do is put me in jail, but the legal system would look at me and say, well, we can't put him in jail. That's not going to solve anyone's problem. Right. So, it was really a. It was been the last four years. I took that moment to say, I gotta come. I gotta get in touch with my life, and start to live my life. Right. Exactly your point. My truth. Right. Right. My truth. You know, in my first divorce, I did make an album, which is that Selah song that we listened to. Right. And then I walked away from my music again. Now my truth is my music is part of my truth. My financial career is part of my truth. My right. health care knowledge is part of my truth. Right. My family and children. You know, and I'm just, I live my truth 24-7. <laughs> and that is, I don't allow anything else in my life. And, yeah. and once you do that, there may be some difficulties and challenges that come along the way. But, you know, good things start to happen. And, and it's right. amazing, you know, and also great people are attracted. Yes. What I find negative people are not attracted to people living their truth. They're intimidated by it. Mm. They can't handle it. So if we're solid in our truth, these negative people don't want to be around us. But positive people, oh, wow, they love that. That's what yeah. they want. We're all able to, you know, feed each other and, and build off of each other. Right. So the, the truth, and it's, it's interesting, you actually kind of rolled your personal and professional all into that one question. Um, but it sounds like the truth that you realize two things. The first thing was, like you said so profoundly, if you don't have anything, nobody's going to come after you, right? Yep. And But I think the more important one was that you realized you had to be honest with yourself that you were living a life of pleasing other people. 100%. And it was, it was that pleasing other people that essentially caused you to not be true to yourself. And, uh, that's, yep. and, and, and I, want, I just want to make a, you know, a distinction you can take care of people and you can do things for people, but still do it with the intent that you, you're going to take care of yourself also. And, and you I, know, yeah, I want to comment on that. Cause that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. Yeah. Is, you know, I 
I tried to please people, but you no, know, each of those people were not honestly pleasable. Mm. I wow. chose people yeah. who were kind of tyrants. My mother honestly was a tyrant, and these two women, and I'm maybe I should be careful about saying that in public. I don't know, but we can um, we can edit it out. Don't worry. Yeah, but you, I mean, you the, can just say that they they also were they were, were they very were not, self self serving. How about that? Not pleasable, and my pleasure. My happiness was not on their radar. Mm. It was all about my being committed to making them happy 24-7. Wow. I'm in a very different relationship now with a wonderful woman. Yeah. I want her to be happy. She wants me to be happy. It's a mutual exchange. And you know, she supported me through some very difficult times. Sure. Um, and we support each other. Um, and it's a totally different way of being. And again, it's it's part of this commitment. As you know, we actually have a, a uh, hashtag. Her name is Audrey. Audrey's actually she's Jamaican. Oh, interesting. And Audrey and I have a hashtag. Uh, we make happy. <laughs> and, uh, I'm also working with her on incubating a business of hers. I mean, we'll talk about Westgard Advisory. Is not really a McKinsey. Okay. It's more. It's it's morphed into an incubator. Okay. So I got I, it. I, Myself or other people, I like to help people start and grow successful businesses. Sure. And uh, I'm working on some incredible projects with incredible people. Obviously, the focus being the one I, my own, which is uh, the, the, the financial uh, platform. Right. Uh, click uh, with Clickatine, which I thought was a, was a cool name. Oh, no, no. Clickatine is different. But that's, that's the healthcare company. I'm on the board of, of Click. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Got it. So you help, you help incubate, you help incubate them through Westergaard financial advisory. Exactly. And and that's where I learned my skills and that's, I'm using all the skills. We we were very successful. I was there from the founding and that's now a, a, that's now a hundred million dollar company. Wow. Uh, And so it's exciting. They're still, you know, they're still in early stages, but they've been very successful so far. Um, And I've used what I learned there now to, HFDIY is really what I'm talking about. Got it. It's financial platform. It's St. Benjamin's. It's uh, Green Chi, the app. Okay. All of which will be uh, coming out in the next six months. Wow. So and you, you heard it here first on a true prescription. Yeah, I'm launching. <laughs> I'm developing the app in Estonia uh, with a development team. Estonia is one of the tech capitals of Europe. Okay. And, uh, and then the, the show... I'm developing with a, a couple of uh, people in the called social media over the top entertainment industry. It's going to okay. be something right now. It's envisioned as a kind of daily show for finance, it's mixing you know kind of hard hitting concepts and ideas with humor to wow. make it fun and yet kind of have an edge to it. Wow! Yeah, we we'll, we should definitely talk more about that uh, offline because that that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I also I think you could you could be a very interesting person to talk to. I agree. Yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah, we we have a few things to talk about. I've got a medical device that I, that I've patented. I'm in the process healthcare, of. Uh, yeah, health, I have I have a partnership in healthcare. I incubate healthcare companies. Yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> All good. Um, so let's let's jump to some specific questions that I had for you. Sure. Um, so in 2005, you did your CD. CD is called Necessary Rain. Um. I, th- I think uh, it's necessary for you to put out some new material. <laughs> Have you been writing any new material, and when can we expect a new album? I, I am very excited to to 
me in the process of preparing to launch a whole slew of new material I've written over the last 10 years. Wow. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think I've been performing it for people on a very intimate basis. Okay. And also, uh, I'm really, you know, I'm very proud of my first CD. Uh, I feel like my voice, you know, everything that we've talked about is, it comes out of my music, yeah. even when I sing those older songs. Yeah. So the wisdom that I have to bring to bear now, I believe it makes it, makes my music deeper. Okay. And so I have started, um, rehearsing and building a band with a, uh, and so I would say that's, uh, definitely in the works. Okay. Great. Great. Now, great to hear. Cause Funny, you know, I had a, I had a thought that I was going to have my guitar here and just sing you one of those as part of the, part well, of the, well, that, that, that we can do, but I, I definitely want to record that in person so we can hear, you know, every single note clearly no i'll come out there i'll do that in a second man I'd love yeah, to that's great our our uh, second guest uh bob kafaro actually played he's a he's a you know, amazing guy that uh, beat ms using uh natural and holistic methods but he played he's a, a cellist in the philadelphia orchestra he actually played live here it was great it was amazing my three sons play cello wow. and my, my you know i play with you know my, the guy i'm working with right now the music is a world-class jazz bass player okay wow wow awesome okay so, um, so you you talked a little bit about it, uh, FHDIY PBC. Um, what does what is what does that acronym actually stand for? Um, yeah, so HF is hedge fund. Okay. DIY is do it, do it yourself, yourself. <laughs> right? Right. So I mean, you know, Occupy Wall Street, you know, was full of people. There's a lot of angst, anxiety, upset about Wall Street. I think it's rightfully so. Just like healthcare, and that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But the problem is, and it's the same for healthcare, people don't understand what it is that they're upset about. Right. And so a lot of what I want to do is kind of demystify something that is actually very understandable. There's some basic principles that I can share with you that will help you understand Wall Street completely. Yeah. It's actually quite simple if I just get you these basic principles. Wow. And then you can actually not only invest, but understand how the marketplace works. And it can, it can really be impactful. To me, it's, it's very important for us as citizens, and we see it in this somewhat insane environment we're in <laughs> right now, right. that people need to be informed about how the system really works. Right, right. And then the, did you say that the, the PBC part, what that stands for? Oh, very good. Okay, so PBC is... Public Benefit Corps. Ah, okay. So it's called a B Corps. So we are a for-profit business, but we have, but we also have a mission. So in a traditional corporation, their mission is very simply to make as much money for their shareholders as possible. Correct. In a PBC, we have a dual mission. Our mission is to be a successful business. It is also, in our case, to empower you through financial education. Got it. Empower people financial education. So the two are meant to always be aligned. I'm not pursuing profit. And in fact, you know, Wall Street makes money by trading. Right. They want their customers to trade. It is often not in their customers' best interest to trade. Okay. So they are basically in some very fundamental way misaligned with their own customers. Right. It's a conflict of interest. As as PBC, one of the things we 
fundamentally stand for is we will always be aligned in our interests with our customers. We will never create a commercial interest in our company that is misaligned with our users, our customers, our, you know, and, and we want to create a financial platform based on that. Okay, great. But we are not want, I, I'm very careful about my language. We are creating a financial platform based on aligning our, our incentives with our users and empowering them through our tools and technology, as well as our shows, you know, and, and, and online presence. Okay, fantastic. Um, so for me personally, I, I, I usually get a lot of, uh, I would call it shock and awe when I meet people and we're working on film together or we're doing some music. And then at some point they find out that I'm a physician. Does, does this happen to you? And, and if, 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 if it does, how do you feel about it? How do you handle it? You know, uh, I've spent a lot of my life in this kind of almost I, in almost like a schizophrenic state of like <laughs> I had this part of my brain that wanted to do this. Yes. Left brain, part, right brain. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess what I'd tell you is right now, and if you meet me in person and we talk about finance or we talk about music, it's all one thing. It's all one person. It's all one mission. Got it. it all comes from the same energy source sure. for me. Yeah. And it's my chief. I'm a Buddhist monk. So what I do to strengthen myself at the core is I train Kung Fu. I train five days a week, wow. two hours a day under a master. Like I said, it's Riz's master. He's a 34th generation Shaolin monk. Um, you can look up USA Shaolin Temple on Facebook. Okay, uh, He's the real deal. And so while I have achieved, as I said, a state of being where I feel like I am not feeling, I am um, living my truth. Good. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, we can... In living our truth, we can also make ourselves stronger. And yeah. to train with a master, in, and when you find a master, it's not like he's—it's not like he's making my inner core stronger. No, it's not like putting stuff inside no. him. No, he's just guiding you. My kung fu is my kung fu. It's never going to look like his. Yeah. I'm a 50 year old dude. I started a year ago. I've been practicing Buddhism since I was 18, but I've been doing kung fu for a year. Right. And but the people in the temple, that's one of my communities. They know me as a musician, as a Wall Street guy, as an entrepreneur, mm. and as a bit of a freak, you know. <laughs> I, I, and uh, I like to have a lot of fun. You know, uh, my sister, uh, who sadly passed away a couple of years, was a big influence on my life. And uh, she was a wonderful, dynamic person, a creative director, worked with um, Christy Teigen, worked with, you know, she was a great photographer, videographer. Wow. Anyway, her philosophy of life, Katrine Westergaard, you can look her up. She's also a powerhouse. Um, sure, her philosophy was you know, work hard, play hard, and uh, always mix business and pleasure. <laughs> always mix business and pleasure. You know, and that's how I live. It's, I don't make a distinction. I am happy doing whatever I'm doing at the moment. And, uh, you know, we will sit, we will work hard, and then we'll go pound back a couple, do whatever we enjoy doing. Right. And, you know, it's part of building that community, building that chi up. Okay. Okay. So, so you, so it's almost, so, so people aren't really surprised because you, you're, what you it sounds like what you're saying is that at this point you just ooze that this is who I am. And so people know, people know that and then they just kind of go with it. Yeah. And I've really focused on not trying to be a certain way in a certain environment. I'm not Got trying it. to, 
you know, be some way for my business people. And so, you know, yeah, I'm stuck. You know, the conversations are different, but basically it's me. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe other people are surprised because when you they think, find out. If you think yeah. about it, I mean, you have to. So if you're talking to a musician, right, it's a different conversation than if you're talking to a hedge fund guy completely because their world, they live in completely different worlds and they're wired completely differently, right? Yeah, you know, I, I guess what I would say is this, and it goes back to this, you know, truth is I really am committed to having people around me who appreciate all of who I am. Mm. And so, you know, it takes some patience because if I go to Wall Street, I will tell you 99% of the people will look at me like with twisted eyes. Of course. They won't, they won't know what to make of me. But there are, there are some people who have been through what I've been through. I'm looking for those people. I want those people on my show like you have them on your show. Right. I want to find the people who have gone through the, through the mill have come out the other side with all of the wisdom and understanding that that brings. Yeah. And then I work with, I love working with kids. I like, I want to show those, you know, 19, 20, you know, 19, you know, teens and 20 year olds that there's an alternative exactly to what you said. They're getting fed this line that they have to make a living. How are you going to make a living? What are you going to do to make your money? Yeah. No. Well, understand what makes you happy. Right. You don't live on nothing when you're that age. Right. You know, I have five kids and I went through the bottom of this freaking barrel mm, yeah. and, and everyone survived. <laughs> so right. the thing was, it was, it was, it wasn't done out of disdain or giving up. It was done out of a commitment to my truth, commit to your truth and the green chi will come. Right. You just have to be patient. If you chase the green chi, that's going to become your life. Yeah. And that's a endless and, and ultimately Again, to your point, I'm not going to say right or wrong. I learned a lot in that chase. Yeah. But if I could get my 20-year-old, 24-year-old son, if, if he can learn from me to just achieve his truth and be confident in that, yeah. I would. I wish, you know, when I was 24, I wish I had been able to have that for my whole life. Yeah, I, me too. Uh, I feel the same way. I spent, a lot, I spent a lot of time living other people's dreams and other people's lives and other people's wants for me. And and I, I, and again, I won't say wasted a lot of time because I had to go through it, but it was it's it's difficult. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to take up you know take up all your time, but there's a there's a story about a guy who was um, around about twenty two, twenty three, and he found out that uh, his fiance that he was getting ready to marry was cheating on him, and so he went you know they went through the wedding and everything, and they're standing up. He's standing on the dais and he's about to make the toast at the end of the wedding and he tells the, this is a true story, by the way, he tells the, um, the people in the audience, thank you for coming. And would everybody uh, take a look at the, uh, envelopes underneath your seats? And so, you know, it's like a room of 150 people. They all pull the envelopes out and inside of the envelope is a, a photo of the fiance and the, the, the groom, the best man actually, like in a sec, having sex essentially that, that he, he had hired a, a, a um, uh, a private investigator. And he basically, you know, everybody's like, oh, there's a hush that falls across the crowd. And he looks at her and she looked and he looks at him and he says, I hope you guys are happy with each other. And he drops the microphone and walks out the door. Now it's a little bit dramatic, but I said, there's somebody who knows who he is and knows what he wants, you know, in life, instead of there's a hundred other things he could have done, but that level of sort of internal stability, strength, understanding, knowledge, wisdom at that, that age 
I definitely didn't have it. And I often think about that story saying, man, if I only had that, <laughs> you know, that that ability at that time, um, because there were definitely things I saw in my first marriage extremely early on before I even got married that just went completely against the grain of who I was. And I did it and I went I did it anyway. You know, so it's uh, it's, it's something to be said for 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 what you're talking about, just understanding the green chi understanding who you really are and, 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 and looking at situations and saying, you know what, is that going to, is that in line with me? Yes or no. If it's not, then you got to move on, you know? You know, that's quite a story, first of all. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's one concept that I was given about the time that all of my life was collapsing. When I was going through my second divorce, and this was actually kind of in the, during the time when my business was starting to fall apart. Mm. Um, in that time, I actually took a class at a, a place. Uh, well, I'm not even going to name the place. Okay. But um, I have mixed feelings about the place as a whole. Okay. But, I, but they gave me something of great value, which I greatly appreciate. And really it is that... Um, I, you know, when, when, when someone, and this is going to sound abstract, but hopefully it'll make sense. When someone upsets me, does something that upsets me, does something to intimidate me, and I feel ang- anxiety, upset, I experienced it for most of my life that that person was making me upset. Right. And so I'm a victim of that other person. And... That that was a um, that's a that I call that the life of the victim, right? And and in that realm, you know, people are constantly you know, and particularly when you're trying to make other people happy, you know, particularly when uh, you're trying to make make other people happy. If they get upset, they get angry. They don't like what you're doing. Oh my God, I'm upset. I'm anxious, and I'm a victim of them. And then I'm trying to make them happy to fix. Right, right. It's a vicious. What cycle. I realized yeah. was all of all of my emotions uh, originate from me. Right. <laughs> and they all, all, all other people do when they, when they upset me is they trigger emotions that are living inside of me already. Right. Yeah. And so I do not even have to deal with that other person to deal with my emotions. Right. My emotions, the conversation I have to understand with myself, it goes back to my childhood. It goes back to all the training I got when I was a kid. And I have to sit in quiet and listen where that conversation really starts, where that truth really comes from. Yeah. And the moment I realized that, and it's a, and it takes a lot of work to deal with your life that way. It does. It, it takes time. And, you know, I have certain, like if you've ever heard of um, Shambhala as a form of Buddhism that's very focused on that practice. Okay. And no, I, I haven't. Anyway, I've practiced that for the last four years of taking ownership of my emotions and, uh, and taking the time every time to understand them. You know, I give an example. If I wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night and I have all kinds of anxiety because I was going through bankruptcy or whatever was going on in my life. And, you know, you want to get up and say, oh, I got to start my day and sure. put that to the side. Sure. I refuse. I literally would stay in bed. I would call it a sick day and stay in bed with that emotion just to be with it and understand it and mm-hmm. listen to it. Yeah. It, Often it was very painful, uncomfortable. Yeah. It was, you know, but it 
it, it is the only way, in my experience, to clean yourself up. In the yeah. end, and commit to that practice. Yeah. It has taken me today to where I still practice that, but the waves have gotten much smaller. You know, I'm not right. getting knocked over. Right, as right. I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I watch them when they come. I handle them that way. I'm confident that that's the case. Right. And as you're a doctor, I'm 100% convinced that all of that stored emotion is what makes us sick. Oh, absolutely. I, and, I, and yeah. We, Heart attacks, and, and strokes, cancer. Blame, yep. As long as we blame other people, we're just leaving it there. Yeah, right. But we're not actually taking it out of our body. Right. If we sit with it and have the conversation with that emotion, then we will get it out of our body. It takes right. time. It takes time. You have to deal with it. And I think that's the, yeah. like you said, that's the most painful thing. I remember when I was uh, uh, probably three three years into my marriage and my first wife had a, and I had a big blow up and I was just driving around New York and I found this hotel in near LaGuardia Airport and I went in there and she's calling me, calling me, calling me. I just turned my phone off. And I remember waking up the next morning and feeling so isolated and alone and, and thinking, I need to get the hell out of here and go back home. Regardless of the fact that our relationship was terrible, there was something about that loneliness that I wasn't ready to deal with yet. And it took me, you know, another two years or so to be in that situation again and be forced to sort of deal with it um, and, and, and have to and have to kind of, like you said, go through the process. Why, why, do, why do I feel so alone when I know this is a bad relationship? I know it hasn't been healthy, but I still want her to come back. This makes no sense. <laughs> well, loneliness is deep. Loneliness yeah. is something. I mean, I have a very similar, you know, when, when I divorced my second wife, uh, I ended up in another relationship after I left her. Mm. I'm still going through the divorce. I'm four years into the divorce. Oh, mine, mine took four years too. It's painful. But uh, when I, I started dating this other woman, from all, you know, at the surface, she was entirely different. Didn't seem money-driven. But six, you know, kind of four months into seeing her, I realized I was still trying to make someone else happy. <laughs> right. And <laughs> I went out to dinner with a friend of mine uh, one of my oldest best friends and we had just spent a weekend up in the country together and we drove back and I dropped him off with his mother Okay, and his mother's, you know, someone I've known since I was seven years old. Yeah. And I guess my friend had talked to, to her about me, but about a week later we went out to dinner and he said, you know, Emil, my mother talked to me and she's like, you know, you know, you know, I love Emil, but you know, I can see it. He's doing it again. Wow. And I sat at that dinner and I was like, and he said that to me and I was like, you're right. Man. <laughs> I have to be by myself. Yeah. And, and so I basically left that dinner and walked out the door and I called that woman and I said, I can't be in this relationship. Yeah. And, and that's real. I'm sure, so, I'm sure she didn't respond favorably. <laughs> and, and that was the kind of, that was actually the starting point of my new life in many respects. Okay. And uh, it was funny because then this woman, Audrey, who's my love and my lady, I actually met her not long after that, but I said to her, I'm not, I can only see you once a month. Mm. So basically, I would only see her once a month and even less sometimes for, for another two years. Great. And then Great. after that, I felt like we, then we began to, you know, 
allow it to, to, to grow into the relationship it was because we always loved being together. Right. But I totally understand what you're saying. It's, it's, it's that there is a really like, there's a kind of tipping point. There's kind of a point where you're like, uh, you're you kind of see it, but you're still doing things for other people. And then suddenly, <laughs> and then it starts to really work. Right. And, and, and I, you know, for people that are listening, I don't think myself or Emil, myself or Emil are saying that you can't do things for people. I think the idea is that your core, your focus, your center of gravity should be um, in how am I taking care of myself? Because you can't really take care of anybody else or do do anything for anybody else if you have nothing to give. If the, if the, war, if the cup is empty, you have nothing to, to pour out. And I think and in Buddhist, in my practice, it's kind of circles of influence. You have to have a good relationship with yourself. Yeah. You have to be okay being alone with yourself. Right. Then you have to have a good partner. Yeah. And then you continue to spread your sphere of influence to your community, your village, your uh, town, country, your world. But it's got to start from the center. Yeah. And I am a very committed person to actually, you know, bringing good things into the world to change, you know, to bringing good conversation, positive conversation to, you know, the fact that we can be, we as human beings have incredible potential. Yeah, we do. And the fact that there's so much misery out there is absurd. (laughs) There's no reason for it. We have enough resources. We have enough technology. We have enough people to take care of everyone. Yeah. Including people who need a lot of help to get in touch with themselves, who have grown up in difficult situations, right. in violence, in all the things that we know are out there. And it takes a lot of work to support children, but it's all available, including with adults. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say this, PBC, Public Benefit Corps. So one of my advisors is a woman named Boz Dreisinger. She wrote a book called Incarceration Nation. It was a big mm. book last mm. year. Wow. And it basically studied prison systems around the world. Okay. And she's the founder of the John Jay College, prison to college program. So oh, wow. she, she supports prisoners up at Otisville prison. And, and if they complete her program, and she's a professor of John Jay, okay. they matriculate into John Jay. Wow. And that is an English program. One of my goals, and this is, I've, this is I'm working with her, is to bring my finance program into that. I want to support you know, prison to college programs and that her prison to college program is now being expanded in Jamaica, South Africa, globally. It's a, it's a very powerful view of what we need to do for troubled youths, let's call it, or troubled yeah, people, people in general. Yeah, people. Yeah, grown up in un- unfortunate circumstances. Okay. Um, who are your, who is your personal uh, Mount Rushmore, meaning anyone alive or dead who's who influ who has influenced you and influenced you in terms of what you do and how you live. And there's four people on Mount Rushmore. So uh-huh. not that you uh, worship anyone, but just in terms of who, who's been, who are the people that have been big influencers for you? Why? Well, I think, you know, for better or worse, I, 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 my parents are obviously, you know, they are they are the people who gave me my karma that I've lived my life working okay. through. They, they handed it to me. You know, as, as I always say, you know, they handed me an envelope. <laughs> and 
you know, I, I can say I don't think they really were able to open up that envelope during their life, but they handed it to me and I've opened it up. Okay. I've opened it up and I'm sharing that envelope with my children. Got it. You know, beyond my parents, um, you know, I mean, Buddha was a person who lived thousands of years ago. Sure. And his wisdom is an oral tradition, like jazz, like any oral tradition, that goes, that is, that is, been sustained through thousands of years and study and it is about buddha nature that we all carry it is that understanding that there is we have a beautiful nature yes gets covered up by the noise and then the people who have um you know there have been a number of people who have really supported me uh, obviously you know uh there's a guy i mean again shambhala founder is chogyam rinpoche his writings he has a book, Smile at Fear, hmm. which is very like much a guide, a guide for me through my most recent time. Hmm. Um, I just literally, it's a short book, and it's probably 20 chapters that you can read in 10 minutes each. Oh. And I, I've probably read that book 20 times over the last couple of years, just a chapter a day. Smile through fear. Smile at fear. Smile at fear. All right. Like and... You know, it's about it's about what we're talking about. How do you develop how do you develop a good relationship with fear? For me now, fear is something I value. When I get afraid, I know I'm learning something about myself. Mm. I'm taking myself deeper. Oh yeah. That's a real you have to train yourself in a yeah. sense to do that. Yeah. Um you know, and then I, I'm so grateful to my lady Audrey, who, you know, really has stood by my side sure. and, and you know, and, to, and then my sister Katrine, who I mentioned, yeah, um, who really since I was a child, kind of has been a believer in me. You know, okay. my music. I'll just my my favorite quote. My whenever I would sit with my sister, and you know, she went through late stage cancer. So I, 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 I as a help, I, I basically took care of her in the last months of her life, right as she was peaking in her career. It's very sad. Say say that, I, say that sentence again. You went out that you, the, the sentence that you were taking care of her the last couple of years of her life. So she got diagnosed with stage four um, prostate cancer. I'm sorry, colon cancer, and I took care of her for the last six months of her life. Wow. Uh, we pursued alternative care because really she was not going to be helped by chemo or any of that stuff. Sure. Um, but anyway, and you know that involved me obviously caring for her and with my guitar singing for her every night. Wow. And I would always say to her, you know, which one do you want to hear? And she'd always say, play them all. <laughs> That's great. And that was her with me. She was just, you know, she is a beautiful person for me. She is not, you know, whatever we view about our lives and, and how, how, what our life means, she is still as present for me as she's ever been. Wow. That's beautiful. All right. As is Buddha for that. Yeah. yeah. Various yeah. My 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 shifu at my temple. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because he sounds like he's been very influential in your life in terms of. Well, he's been, so I met he he actually um, trained my sister's son, and that's how I met him. Okay. And so he is an extension, in the sense of my sister's influence in my life, but absolutely, uh, shifu is a true Buddhist master. Okay. And a, an incredible person, and I'm very blessed. Uh, to be studying with him, uh, both on a you know physical and spiritual level. Sure. I mean, our, our 
our practice is that it's all one. Our body and our mind and our spirit are all one. Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Um, that's all the questions I have. I think let's transition over to something I like to do here on the show called uh, Yes or BS. Yes. So uh, basically I'll say some phrases or some sentences and then you tell me or tell us if you agree or don't agree. All right. Okay. All right. Number one. The left brain is better than the right brain. Yes. <laughs> Number two. Financial literacy is a class problem, not a race problem. Yes. Number three. Emil Westergaard would stop all projects and travel around the world with Sting for a year. Yes. <laughs> That's not my truth. Number four. I love. I mean, I love Sting, you know, right. but, but that's not my truth. Right. I would. I would like to become as influential a musician, or I'd like my audience to appreciate me the way Sting's audience appreciates him. Okay. Whatever size that audience is. Okay. Number four, writing a song is easier than predicting the market. Yes, because predicting the market is impossible. <laughs> I mean, that's predicting the market is BS. That's what the market wants you to think you can do. That's the game they try to get you to play. Right. Whether it be the market or stocks, that's the way they want you to relate to it because that's a trading mentality. Right. That's total bullshit. <laughs> Writing a song is easy in the sense that it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. I can't control it. Right. I just be open to it. Right. Okay. Number five, in 50 years, the Clickatine app will demolish the tobacco industry. Yes. Number six, women are smarter than men. <laughs> I like the long pause. Yeah. It's a hard one. You know, the goddess is the, is the, the mother is the highest power. You know, it's the, it's the source of all life. Right. I, I've had, you know, there are ways to converse with the goddess. Uh, if, you, if you study shamanism, which I have studied in various forms down in the Amazon and stuff, uh, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't view, I view that at a spiritual level, not at a personal level. Okay. So I think women are wonderful. Some are nasty as all hell. Guys right. are wonderful. Some are nasty as all hell. Right. It's, it's, it's not a generalization, but at a spiritual level, I have great uh, reverence for the goddess. Okay. Number seven, divorce, divorce is pricey, but happiness is priceless. Yes. Okay. Number eight, Emil Westergaard's biggest asset is his creativity. You know, I really don't experience what I do as coming from me. Hmm. I view myself as, you know, being able to, uh, I don't know, create from a stream that I'm able to, when I'm in the right frame of mind, I can get in and it comes out. Uh, so it's just the personal level of that. I, I don't see it like at a personal ego level. I see it as, I open myself up and, and I am a vehicle and that's really how I experience my life. So it's, it's, you know, and then 
the word creativity to me is, you know, it becomes semantic, right? Um, mm. Spirituality, creativity, intellectualism, you know, it's all part of the mix that goes into, you know, creating things that are of value. But it, it has, but ultimately, you know, it's not, I don't plan, I'm not very much into planning for the future. Because to me, that only limits me. Because the future will not be whatever I plan it to be. And if I focus on the present, I will be giving the most energy to creating whatever that future will be. And I just allow that I'm open to the future and that I will respond to what comes my way in the best way that I possibly can. Okay. But you, I'm sure you make plans. Like, for instance, I mean, you, you can't do all the things that you do and not have a schedule like like our, our, our talk today was scheduled you know in advance yeah, so that's, that's about as far ahead as i plan to tell you the truth okay all right i mean if you look i i use a I, it's funny i use an app called trello okay and i have all of the things going on and i have a lot going on i have trello I for all of those things but uh ultimately i have no idea what my life is gonna look like three three months from now so about three months is about as far as I can go. Now, as in, as in, I can look at companies and businesses and I can project a longer future, and I do that. Sure. But it's not a plan. It's just a, it's a vision, and I know the vision's not going to be what it's going to be, so I'm not attached to that vision I at see. all. Okay. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like you do plan in a sense, but you're not necessarily attached to it where you try to stay fluid. That's what it sounds like. I mean, I have a daily plan. I have a daily Trello board. I have things I'm, I know I'm supposed to get done every week. Right. And, and so, and then all things are coming in every day that I, I'm handling on the, in the best way I can. My plan is I go to, every day I can go to temple and train Kung Fu, I go. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to go today because I'm doing this uh, interview and it's going to run me long oh, oh, into my training. That's okay. Okay. But, because uh, I'm enjoying this a lot. Thank but, you. um, that's basically my main commitment is to go and train, make myself stronger so that whatever comes up in my life, I'm dealing with as effectively as possible. Okay. All right. Number nine, New York City is the best city for entrepreneurs and bankers. Yes. Okay. And finally, number 10, New York City is the worst city for musicians. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a tough city, you know. There's a lot of musicians I, in the city. You know, I was quick. Like I, you know, one of my, you know, I, I know many, many of my friends are professional musicians, and they struggle like hell. Yeah, make a living with their lives. I have a, I have a separate business I'm working on. Actually, I think it's a really cool idea, but it's not ready to be brought public yet. It's, okay, it's, it's, deal with that issue. But it's the funny thing I'll just say is that I, you know, they. Many of them live in New York, and it sucks for them because it's such an expensive place. Yeah, exactly. Like I have a friend who went back to Germany because that's where he's from, where he gets housing, where he gets education, everything basically gets paid more, and he lasted a year. And then he's like, he's like, the level of musicianship just isn't what it is in New York. Yeah. And this is where the game is being played at the highest level. Yeah. It's... uh... I guess, I guess everything it's tough yeah everything has a cost and the cost of living here is you know your your cost of living is going to be really really high and it's going to be a lot of competition so all right 
Well, I, that's actually all I've got. Um, this was a, a very insightful, uh, probably one of the most insightful conversations I've had so far. This has been great. Um, oh, thanks so much. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, Can you tell, uh, tell the listeners uh, how they can contact you? Are you on social media? Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, the best way to contact me, you can contact me on my Facebook, just my, you know. Uh, Facebook page, okay. Facebook page. Uh, you know, the best thing is uh, there's a Facebook page for uh, HF DIY PVC. Okay, great. Like me on there. So again, H as in Harry, F as in Frank. <laughs> e is the dog. I is inside. F. Why? Frank. Don't, don't fe- oh, F is in Frank. C is in Charlie. Oh my God, it's so screwed D- up. DIY. Just, just oh, look up my name. Look yeah. up my name. Go we'll figure it out. Look up on Facebook. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I got to work that stuff out. That we, you, we can talk offline. Yeah. All that stuff. I'm, I'm very early stages with the branding of this, but I absolutely want to talk and get my message out and talk sure. to people and have them experience this, these new things I'm creating. Yeah, financial literacy is is critical. You know, I think for so many people, it seems so difficult, which is why you have people who have the intelligence and wherewithal to do it, giving all their money to these uh, large corporations to manage it. And, you know, are probably not getting the returns they could they could get if they had just a little bit more education. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I was, I'm mean, sorry. I'm just going to pipe in with one thing in response. Sure. To that. sure. So, you know, technology is really interesting. and I'm very committed to technology as a tool for empowerment. Okay. And a lot of technology is being used to make people passive or to make people wrapped up in bullshit if we use your moniker. BS, okay? yes. And BS. There's so much BS out there in Facebook in the world. Everyone's, everyone's just spouting lies. You know, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. And But technology can actually be used to help you get at truth. And, you know, in Wall Street, for example, right now technology is being used to do something called robo-investing. Okay. Which means they can have a robot that's going to take your money and take care of it. Oh, yeah, EFTs. That's what I call ultimate BS. Yeah. You know, money is how you, your green chi is a way for you to express your life. It's not passive. I want to, you know, my technology is meant to teach you, to give you the tools to empower yourself and your life, not only through making more money, but expressing yourself in a way that you feel good about, that has integrity. Right. So you're buying things from places that you understand where they're treating their people right and doing things right. That's the conversation right. I want to create. That you know, business can be a great thing. You know, I can employ people well. I can give them good jobs. I can give them good opportunity, or I can use people's freaking my my tools to my own bidding. Yeah, and I would say the majority of business right now is still the latter. But there's a movement to create what I would call ethical business. Okay. And part of that is, is informing, empowering consumers and business people about how business really works. Okay. Well, there it is. Uh, everybody look out for Mill Westergaard and his many, his many projects that are consumer friendly and looking forward to educating the public and helping people become more self-sufficient and... Um, and, and 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 wealthy, you know, both uh, both financially and otherwise. So, all right. Well, I'm going to sign off. 
Um, Emil, I'd like to thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. This was fantastic. And as I always say, the truth will set you free if you let it.